Good morning, Northbrook Church. Uh, this morning we are going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> That's 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that those judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. It's great to be with you. I'm Jake Ledet, one of the pastors here. It's always a joy to open up God's word. Uh, I've been, you know, obviously in planting a church, you know, we're about three years into that. And so you kind of learn rhythms of the church in, in newer ways. And uh, one of the things I've thought about January as a month is like, oh, January is the month people come back to church. Um, and then I thought today, unless it's really cold. Uh, and then... I, I really just said that for the podcast, just whoever's like this week, like curled up in bed right now, and uh, that, is, that is just for them, and I hope they enjoy it. Um, a, couple, uh, a couple things before we get going here. Uh, I want, we want to be a church of prayer. We want to be people that gather uh, for prayer. We see the New Testament doing that. We see the uh, people that were uh, converted to Christ early in the New Testament, devoting themselves to uh, prayer with one another, for one another. And so we want to be a people of prayer. And so there's a couple of things that we're, we do uh, towards that end. One, um, we have nights of prayer. And so throughout the year, we have really four nights of prayer. Two of them are devoted just for members. So if you're a member at Northbrook, uh, you know, we need to do some uh, family business. We have two member meetings, uh, but those are also just times uh, where we come together and pray. And then we have two nights of prayer where it's open to anybody and everybody uh, to come together uh, and pray. And so we have that coming up on February 19th. Um, and even as elders, as we were talking about it, and we'll actually uh, plan it here uh, in our, at our next elder meeting, and it's just going to be great. You just don't even need to, you don't even know. Um, and nor do I right now, because we haven't planned it yet. Uh, but it's going to be. Uh, but we have talked about how we really do want to make those times where really, as God's people, we are coming together to pray uh, about what's going on in our lives and uh, personally, what's going on in our church, what's going on in uh, the world we're in. And so if you desire to pray, as we hope you do, uh, then this will be a great time to come together with God's people and pray. And we do try to make that. We realize everybody's busy. So just as a, a church, we try to make it as easy on everybody as possible. And that's strategic. It's not just like we just want to do that. Uh, we, we're busy as well. And so we, uh, I think there's childcare through pre-K. Uh, and then we uh, provide dinner um, as well, just to, so you can come from work, grab a bite to eat um, as we get together and pray. Uh, so we do need you to register for that if you are going to come so we can know how to uh, provide in that way. So that's February 19th 
uh, coming up, the registration, you can go to the table in the back and, and register there, uh, or you can go to our website and it's on the events page and you can register there. So that's one thing. The other thing we're starting, not uh, today, but this next Sunday, is we're gonna, what we just call pre-service prayer. So at 9.30, every Sunday, we're just gonna, whoever wants to come, we're gonna get together and pray, probably just for like 10 minutes, because you know service starts at 10, and uh, volunteers, uh, kids, um, and uh, the greeters uh, will come together along with anybody else that's here, uh, and we'll just get together and pray, and seek God uh, for a few minutes together uh, before we uh, you know begin either serving in our volunteer roles or coming to gather with God's people uh, and uh, so you are all welcome to that. And so we're hoping that to be just an opportunity, again, for us to grow in praying together uh, as a church. So obviously, if we do that, you know, every week, that's just another, even if it's just 10 minutes every week, that is a lot of opportunity to come together as God's people uh, and pray together. And so all of you are welcome to that as well. So... As we hop back into 1 Peter, if you're a guest with us, we've just been going through the book of 1 Peter, um, and we find ourselves in 1 Peter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. And um, even as I was thinking about how the service started and how this sermon is going to go and the passage we're, we're covering is, is we're just really going to talk about the cross today. Uh, we're going to talk about the cross and the implications for our life and, and how how. In particular, uh, Peter is going to apply the cross to our lives. And so I'm just going to say, like, when you're talking about the cross, that has a tone. Um, and really, even when we're preaching the Bible, when we're reading the Bible, we should try to consider the tone of the passage. Uh, there's certain passages that have a very celebratory tone. There's a certain passages that have a really reflective, really corrective uh, kind of tone. And we always, as uh, people that are trying to preach God's word, we want to, as best we can, honor the tone of the scriptures. So there will be kids as, you know, kids are a great, like, um, you know, they don't care about tone. They, they just don't care at all. Uh, they've got their own tones going on all the time. Uh, and so, but in one way, that's, that's super healthy. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in like a really rough season or maybe even a really hard conversation, like a really deep, hard, struggling conversation and a kid's by, come close by and they remind you that, oh, there's more to life than this hard conversation that I'm in uh, right now because they care nothing about it. Uh, and and uh, that's like, God's not absent of that. And so even as kids are uh, doing what they do, uh, we'll see how my kid does here. She's doing fine so far. Uh, but, uh, and, uh, but as, so, but this, I just, preparing y'all. That's kind of the tone is going to follow the tone of this passage uh, as we dwell uh, upon the cross. Um, and so prepare us uh, for that. And so I actually want to start by reading a bit of a lengthy quote. It's from a letter. It's, it's known as maybe like the first popular defense of the Christian faith. So it was a letter written in like maybe the second century, maybe the third century. I'm going to read, it's a really, really long letter. I'm going to read a lengthy quote from uh, the letter. And I'm going to read a quote that really just describes the Christian community. Uh, so there's a Christian writing to a non-Christian, and he's defending the faith. He's uh, expressing what Christianity is about. Um, and he's talking about how Christians uh, live in the culture uh, that they're around, which is a big part of how uh, Peter is going to apply the cross uh, in, this, in this text, how we should live in our culture. The cross has, I mean, 
far-reaching uh, implications for our life. But, but Peter's going to kind of zero in on a really particular one um, about how we live as Christians in the culture. But listen to this. It's the epistle of Mathetes to Diognetus. I have no idea if that's how you say that, but neither do you. So um, it says this, the course of conduct which they follow has not, speaking of Christians, they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men, nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines, but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot each of them has determined, and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of the ordinary conduct they display to us, their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth is as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified, punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and they are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. And so 1 Peter is a letter written to real people exhorting them to a particular way of life and then to bring country comfort and encouragement of the gospel and call them to live their whole lives for the sake of Christ. And then this letter I just read is written about real people that are living out that kind of calling. And just, oh, that a letter about Northbrook would be written in this way. That if, if someone were to describe the lives that we are living uh, before others, that they would describe us in this kind of way. That would be our hope that we are and that we would continue to be people willing to forsake all for Christ, counting him as the only worthy object of our praise and because of that holding loosely to everything else, that there is nothing we would hold too tightly to. This is the reason we exist as a church. It isn't to provide friendship. It isn't to help us belong. It isn't to grow numerically. It isn't to become a productive member of society. It isn't so that we can thrive as an organization. We exist as a church because Christ died, Christ rose, and Christ will come again. Um, that's why we gather. That's why we're here this morning. And if we've been distracted by any lesser motives, if we've been tempted to pride or comfort, or if we've strayed by looking to the right or the left, may God use his word to direct our gaze back to Christ this morning. Even as we sing that song, that our eyes would be lifted to him. In, in verses 4, 1 through 11, Peter's going to really direct our attention to Jesus on the cross and Jesus' return. Uh, if you look at verse 1, you, say, since there, you see that it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, 
And then in verse seven, it says, the end of all things is at hand. And so we see Peter is trying to use the, the far-reaching encouragements uh, of the cross and the, the, the return of Jesus for uh, the Christian. Um, and, and then in particular, he's going he's gonna to show us how to live in the midst of the culture. And we'll get to the return next week, but this week we're going to focus just on these first six verses. So look there in, in verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Forever has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. Uh, and so there's a simple call here, is that Christ suffered, and so we're supposed to think about suffering in the same way that Jesus did. One, a good example of this, if you, the end of the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27, we see Jesus in verse 25, it says, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This is not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so we see Jesus explain uh, suffering. And I think one of the things that's important as we think about suffering, even as Randy talked about it earlier, the Bible talks about all kinds of suffering, but Peter is talking about a particular kind of suffering, unjust suffering. Uh, again, we're supposed to think about suffering like the suffering Jesus endured on the cross, which is the uh, epitome of unjust suffering. The only just one suffered at the hand of unjust men. And although he's the epitome of it, uh, the, the apostle is saying that we will um, endure things like that. And we're supposed to think about it as he thought about it. Uh, so again, no one lives out this verse more uh, than Jesus. Uh, he lived it out perfectly. But if we see, how did Jesus think about suffering? So if we're supposed to arm ourselves as Jesus did, how did he think about it? One, we see quite simply that it was necessary. Like Jesus said, it was necessary for him to suffer. Like he came from glory and went to glory and in the middle was a road of suffering. And Jesus said it was necessary. And so that's one of the ways that we should think about suffering. It's one of the ways we should arm ourselves as uh, Jesus thought about suffering. It was necessary. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come and suffer. Peter is going to say uh, we shouldn't be surprised by it, but we often are. It's a call to come and suffer. We know Jesus has called us to pick up a cross, to live as men and women that are dead to this world. He told us not to fear those that can destroy our bodies. If we're not okay with the call to suffer, then we're not okay to follow Jesus. Uh, the, the calling on our lives is to come and suffer, not to pursue it, but to see it uh, as necessary. And so we see that one, it was necessary. And then two, we see that it was actually the road to glory. Jesus suffered, then entered glory. Hebrews 12, two says it like this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he endured the cross and then went to the right hand of the throne of God. Again, Jesus came from glory and went back to glory through the road of suffering. And he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. And this is why we see the apostles in, in scenes like Acts 5, 40 and 42. It says, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and 
charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So we think about suffering in the same way that our suffering Savior did. And when we do this, we, as the verse says, we cease from sin. Now, that can be kind of a confusing statement, but it doesn't mean we don't ever sin again. It's just kind of the the straightforward thing that if we're suffering for God's glory, that if we're willing to suffer, we see it as necessary, we're willing to embrace suffering as we're suffering for God's glory, in that moment, we're fleeing from sin. We're being faithful to who God is and what he has called us to do. It doesn't mean we never sin again. It's just juxtaposing those two realities. Um, And he's going to go on to explain the difference in, in verse two. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So when we think of the cross, again, Jesus didn't live to fulfill his earthly desires. He fulfilled the will of God. And so that's what, that's what uh, Peter is juxtaposing here is uh, the, the suffering and choosing godliness versus choosing comfort and choosing our own human passions. Those are the, the two differences there. And he goes on to name what some of these passions are in verse three, for the time that past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. As we think about that list, uh, a comment from Karen Jones, Karen Jobes, uh, commentator, she says this, the first five items involve unrestrained desires for sex, food, and drink. The last refers to wanton acts commonly practiced within the religious ritual of pagan worship. That's what Peter means by lawless idolatry. And so again, even as we're thinking about those two differences, to embrace suffering, to think about suffering um, in the way that Jesus did or to pursue our, our passions. Even if we think about this list, where are you most tempted? Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. What Peter is wanting us to see is that we can indulge sinful desires, experiencing momentary pleasures and comfort or forsake that sinful desire and live for the will of God even if it comes with suffering. And here's the thing, when we stop doing these things, so Peter's writing to people that were living lives categorized by these things, and then they came to faith in Christ and they stopped doing these very things. And that's why we see verse four. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So kids, if there are any kids here, malign just means they talk bad about you. Some adults are like, yeah, kids, you needed to hear that. Um, But they malign you. People may ridicule ridicule us because they think we are prudes or dumb or boring. But they may also ridicule us because when we stop doing something because of Jesus, it means we think it is wrong. Again, uh, Karen Job says this, the universal claim to truth was as offensive to the first century Greco-Roman thought as it has become in today's pluralistic culture. 
Some of you maybe haven't experienced this at all or very much. I actually asked my kids, I was like, hey, have you ever not joined in with something or done something, not done something and, and been, you know, made fun of uh, about it, uh, like walking out of church? I'm just, sorry. Uh, but, um, uh, and then none of them really had. They hadn't experienced that uh, at this point. Uh, so maybe you haven't, you know, experienced much of that. Uh, to be honest with you, I grew up surrounded by sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. Uh, This means I was exposed to much from a very young age. And some of the strongest criticism I received uh, when I didn't join in with those things were from those that were closest to me. And so I just want to offer you, your encouragement, brother or sister, if you are experiencing any of this, know that you are not alone. If you experience the, the, the suffering and the struggle that comes with living a godly life in the, in the midst of maybe friends or family that are opposed to the very godly life you're living, that you uh, are not alone. And, and you can join in with the apostles in rejoicing that you were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Um, this is a reality that, that some of us is a reality that they were experiencing in Asia Minor. Again, that they came from, that God had saved people from this lifestyle. And to be clear, not everybody in Asia Minor was living this lifestyle. Some of the higher ideal, there were good people that were not Christians, that were not living in this way. But then there were also, just like our culture, lots of people living in this way. And God saved people from both of those worlds. Uh, But this world in particular, those that were just giving themselves over to sin in all kinds of different ways, when they stopped doing that, Uh, there's a particular kind of criticism that comes from uh, the people around them. And so we are to embrace suffering as Jesus did. And then doing this simply helps us flee from sin and live for God's will. And sometimes those very decisions will actually be the source of suffering that comes into uh, our lives. Um, Peter wraps up this little section Uh, with his focus on the cross by reminding us of God's judgment and the gospel. Verse five, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Plain and simple, those that malign you will give an account. Uh, We will give an account. Everybody will give an account. Um, But Peter is saying, because everybody will give an account, that's what leads to verse six. This is why we preach the gospel. For this is why we preach, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So let's clear up uh, some confusion here before we get to the heart of this verse. There's that phrase preached even to those who are dead. And really, just as we read it, it sounds like someone went and preached the gospel to dead people. If we're just reading on service, it's like, oh, okay, don't know what that means, but that seems like what happened. Um, But again, I would remember, I would encourage you, don't build your theology around one obscure verse, which some people do with this uh, very verse. And and I don't think that's what it means at all. There's kind of two possible things it could mean. I start with probably maybe the more popular one, or if you're just going to try to uh, figure out what this means, but I don't think it necessarily means this, but it could be talking about people that are dead in their sin. Obviously, the Bible talks about people uh, in that kind of way, and that's definitely plausible. But really, if you look at it, I think dead is referring to simply all dead people. Like any, it's not like groups, it's not, two, it's not people living in the flesh and people are dead. It's just anybody that is dead. 
uh, both God's people uh, through the ages and those that died outside of Christ. Because even if you just look at the rest of verse six, that though judged in the flesh and the way people are, so that's what he's talking about. He says, everybody's judged in the flesh. You're living and you're judged. You, they, I'm sorry, judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Really, every time Peter uses the word flesh, the Greek word, he means alive. So when we, we partly think this way because we're used to Paul. And, and almost every time Paul uses the word flesh, he uses it in this negative way to speak of uh, sin. But Peter never actually uses it that way because you look at uh, verse one, Christ suffered in the flesh. He's not talking about Christ suffering in a sinful way. He's talking about when Peter uses the word flesh, he means these are people that are alive. Christ suffered in his incarnation when he was alive, uh, when he came to be born and died on the cross. And when you see Peter, so that's what flesh means here. So verse six really is saying what Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So this would mean that the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, is the idea that although the matter of salvation is settled in life, it is still the gospel that is the only hope for those that are dead. So those that are dead in Christ, it's their only hope to eventually be justified. And those that are dead outside of Christ, it is their condemnation. So in that way, the gospel, like Jesus preaches the gospel to all of all times and every time, and that is anybody's only hope. And that's what the only hope for those uh, that are dead. And so that I think is more uh, what that is saying, if that was clear at all. But that's, so this is why we share the gospel. Again, verse five, because everybody will give an account. If you look at the beginning of verse six, if we get hung up on that, we'll, we'll miss the very call that Peter is putting before us. So verse five, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for this is why. So this is why we desire to preach the gospel. This is why we desire to share the gospel because everybody will give an account. And we don't preach as the Pharisees did, standing above people and looking down on them and their sin. We preach a person that there's only one, there's only one person that had his act together, who was perfectly wise, who could accurately look down upon anyone, but instead actually laid his life down for the very people that were killing him and also the whole world. This is the one we proclaim. This is the one, the gospel we Preach, and there are only two responses to this gospel. There really is a, a, a response of humility and a response of pride. So the Christian, there, there really shouldn't be, as we're thinking about, uh, when we think about our faith and we think about who we are, like the essence of it is a, a confession of humility. It's a confession of, I need something that I don't have. It's a response to the good news of who Jesus is, that there's someone, there's that I am not good enough. I could not get this done, that God has this perfect law that I could never keep and I needed someone to keep it for me. And so the Christian response is, yeah, that's, that's, that is, uh, I, I desperately need that. And the only other response is, I actually don't need that. I don't need what Jesus did for me, that I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be okay. I'm gonna get by on my good effort. I think God is going to be pleased with me. 
Now, again, if, if, if you can believe all, whatever you want to be, but one of those is a response that believes that we are good enough, and one of those is a response that believes we are not good enough. And so as, the, as Christians, when we share the gospel, we're trying to call people to that humility, not, oh, I have figured it out. You should figure it out too. It's no, man, we are in, in desperate need of everything that Jesus has done for us. And there's no way to be reconciled to God uh, without it. There, there's only two responses, one of humility or one of pride. Again, one puts their faith in Jesus for what he did. The other puts their faith in themselves for what they are able to do. Those are the options. And so as we're thinking about the cross, let's just consider what this means for us today. As we think about who Jesus is and what he has done and what Peter is calling us to, how is Peter calling you to embrace unjust suffering? Not pursue it, not go out and look for it, not try to find unjust suffering that you can enter into, but to embrace it to be willing to do it, to definitely not avoid it, what, what might that look like for you? For some, we just need to think about what sin do you need to keep, do you need to turn from? Is it one of those that's on those lists that you keep feeling tempted toward? Is there sin that you need to turn from and embrace the, the lack of momentary comfort, the lack of the, the suffering that may come from turning from that sin? Is that what embracing suffering might look like for you? I think one of the things that happens when we have these kinds of sins that we just continue to bog us down is what we do is we just stop turning to Jesus. We just get beat down by the struggle. And we just can't go to him again and again and again. But it's the very call that Peter has called all of us to. It is to embrace that to keep looking to him, to keep turning to him in any struggle that we might be in. If this is you, I would encourage you to keep looking to Jesus, to keep confessing, to keep walking honestly uh, in community. This is the call uh, on our lives. But then even more specifically, again, Peter is trying to prepare us to live in our culture. Peter's trying to help us look at the cross to live in the culture that we are in even now. The one, obviously the Christians in Asia Minor that really had some similar struggles and the one uh, that we are in now. And one of the main ways he does this, again, is by reminding them that we should think of suffering in the same way that Jesus did. I think we can have a number of views on all kinds of different things. We have different personalities that maybe make us more likely to fit here instead of here but look at your struggle through the lens of this passage. Like as you engage culture, where do you struggle? What's hard about engaging culture for you? Maybe you want to be the Christian that kind of gets it. You want to be the Christian that kind of looks cool. Um, the Christian that culture kind of uh, accepts. And so you're afraid to say just clear things especially all the hot button issues in our day. You're afraid to say that God's created two genders, male and female, that homosexuality is a sin, and that killing babies in or outside the womb is evil. And maybe you're, you're tempted to not say those clear things. Like you believe them, but you're just, you don't know how to, to navigate that because you're afraid of the suffering that might come. If you were to believe and articulate what the Bible just said, I'm not talking about controversial things biblically, they're controversial culturally, but what, that, what does the Bible say 
And are you afraid to say those very things? Now, obviously, we should be compassionate and winsome as we engage anyone on this issue or any issue. But again, sometimes our our pull to, to look and feel and be accepted in a particular way in culture can tempt us just not to say and agree with what the Bible agrees with. The church is made for struggling, confused people. And she opens her arms wide for any that would want to consider Jesus. I think a question for you to consider is uh, just to ask yourself, are you willing to be maligned to say what God clearly says? Um, if, If there's a hesitation there, then that may be a temptation for you. And it's a temptation that Jesus is there for you in to walk with you, to care for you, to grow you in. And we all have proclivities to different temptations. So it's, it's not like there needs to be shame heaped upon you for struggling in that way. But again, we need to, we need to understand, is, is there a fear that is guiding uh, how we're interacting uh, with our culture? When we aren't afraid, when we aren't afraid of even being hung on a cross to die, we can, with more clarity and humility and love, look to c- the conclusions of our culture Maybe the conclusions that certain friends and certain family have and just say clearly, I don't agree with that. That's not what God says. I disagree with that. Um, But maybe, uh, again, you're not tempted to be uh, the relatable Christian. Maybe you're on the other hand of the spectrum because I think uh, when you just get afraid to show compassion uh, to people that are different than you. I think a temptation for the church, when especially in a culture where uh, maybe the culture gets more an, you know, angry or more, there's more of a gap between the culture and the church as the temptation for the church is just to go insular and to be around people that it's easy to be around, to, hey, I think like these people, I act like these people, I, talk, I don't have to explain anything, there's no uncomfortable conversations, and we just enjoy that so much that we just continue to move in that direction. And so then we're tempted to uh, not show the compassion that, that God would uh, show us or would it call us to show and especially turn away uh, from anyone struggling with confused hot button issues. We maybe become a place where questions start to be a little more off limits. Like we all, many of us have grown up where there was in churches where just certain questions you just, you, sh- you didn't even get to ask. Um, that, that should never be the church. Uh, the, the church should never be a place where questions are, are not, where we're too afraid to ask any question. Um, and again, see what God would say for, to us in that. But when we have this insular focus, even those questions start to challenge uh, like and, and start to make space for things that we're just uncomfortable with. And so we have to be careful uh, to not be led in fear in that way as well. I think the... Uh, question for you is, are you tempted to cut yourself off from the world? And then remember what Steve preached on weeks ago, 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter assumes that no matter how bad it gets, we'll continually look for opportunities to engage people that don't believe like us, that maybe even hate us. That as Christians, we would long to engage those opportunities and do it with gentleness and respect. 
Again, I, I see, you know, those that are, want to be accepted by culture, you know, emphasizing gentleness and respect, and those that care nothing about being accepted by culture, doing away completely with gentleness and respect. Um, and the scriptures are so helpful and so clear that we should long to engage any and everyone and long to uh, explore any question with anybody and, and point them to who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And we long to do that uh, with gentleness and respect. Uh, again, we can do that with gentleness and respect and still be hated. Like just because we say clear things. We say what the Bible says. And, and sometimes in this culture and certain conversations and certain places, just saying what the Bible says, you will be hated. And we can't fear that. We can't shy away from that. Uh, but we don't embrace that as like, oh, this is what we want. No, we want to engage people. We want to realize that everybody is going to give an account. And we want people to stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, and we want to implore them towards that end. And we want to uh, realize that there is no sin or no person that's too far gone that Christ can't save. His arm is not short to save. And so we don't need to make it short. Uh, our, our discomfort and our struggle of being around people that are uncomfortable is, acts as if it is short. Um, we need to break out of that and, and be willing to uh, engage and, and discuss things that even uh, make us uncomfortable. Uh, and in all of this, again, we don't look down on our culture, but we look up to Christ. We, we don't join in our culture's foolishness or sinfulness. Again, but we don't look down on them. We, we look, look up to Christ. We're the only one who could save a wretch like me, a wretch like you. Have you forgotten what he has saved you from? Uh, this is who God is. We are poor and needy, showing others where they can find riches beyond measure. Um, again, when we start to feel like, oh, we figured this out, we need to help other people figure it out, we, we lose sight of what the gospel really is, something we can never figure out, something that God has done from beginning to the end, and something that God can do for anybody. Um, that's where uh, humility comes in as we engage our culture. And so as I, I wanted to close this time as Peter is uh, using the cross to help us engage our culture, I just wanted to close by considering and listening to an account of the cross. And so as, as we close and however the Spirit's moving, however you're able to um, engage, I would just allow this account uh, just to kind of wash over you. Just hear of what Jesus has done. This is what Peter is longing for us to consider. So I'm going to read from Mark 15. If you want, you can bow your head. You can close your eyes. Whatever kind of posture helps you hear and consider God's word. Before I read this, I do want you to just consider again, is there sin that you need to turn from? Is there fear leading how you're engaging the culture? And listen to these words. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him, hell, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. 
And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide which each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourselves and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others, he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Mm. 